Well, let's pray together. Lord, it's been a busy weekend. A weekend at times filled with chaos and wind and worry. And we need these moments to still our hearts and to come before you and worship. And so, Lord, we pray that you'll come and send your Holy Spirit again, that in the reading of your word and the proclamation of your word that you might be pleased, that you might be exalted, and also that we might hear anew your truth and that we might be encouraged in our daily walk with you. Remind us especially today of this sacred meal that we have the the privilege and the honor of participating in. And Lord, remind us again of your once and for all sacrifice that we remember uh, this very day. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I need to share a little introductory material before we read the text. Last week, we looked at Jesus' cleansing of the temple uh, near the very beginning of his public ministry. And I share with you that Jesus referred to his deity uh, in chapter 2, verse 16, when he said to those selling pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. I also suggested that Jesus revealed his deity in his righteous indignation over the outer courtyard being uh, used as an open-air market instead of as a place for worship. Jesus was upset that, that God was not being revered in that place. Further, Jesus revealed his deity in his great compassion for the people. The people were being exploited by the money changers and by the merchants, and Jesus was deeply moved, and he was upset about that exploitation. Jesus' actions revealed that he had the heart of God because he was God. Uh, Thus, reverence for God and compassion for God's people was just part of his nature. That was just a part of all that he did. In today's two segments of Scripture, we're going to continue to see the deity of Jesus. Uh, The first segment is going to point to Jesus as he talks about his resurrection. The second segment is going to point towards Jesus' omniscience, that he's all-knowing, that he knows all people and all things. So let's read John 2, verses 18 to 25. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up? In three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. 
and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. After Jesus cleansed the temple, the Jews said to him, verse 18, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And by the way, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, don't misunderstand when Jesus and others in John's gospel use the word Jews to mean all Jews. In John's gospel, the term Jew usually refers to the religious authorities and all of those who were hostile to Jesus. So these religious leaders are saying at this point, give us more proof that you have authority to cleanse the temple. It wasn't enough that Jesus had fulfilled Scripture, namely Psalm 69.9, to be specific, as he cleansed the temple. He had demonstrated that psalm that he was the Messiah, and he had zeal for God's house, and thus he cleansed the temple. But that wasn't enough for these non-believing people. And the unbelieving Jews were not unlike people of our day, who are always looking for something beyond the Scriptures. Uh, some are looking for a, a, quote, inner voice. But i got to tell you that too often that is nothing more than an expression of their own desires. So, some, like the Jews, are asking for signs. But the problem is, is that people read all sorts of things into signs. Uh, like the woman who wanted a sign to determine whether she should travel in Europe or not. And she woke up the next morning and her digital clock said 7.47 a.m. And she knew that was a sign that she was to hop on a 7.47 plane and go to Europe. I had a dream this week that the entire youth group and I were on a beach in California. Now, is that a sign that we're supposed to take off to California? And the youth are going, yes, but, but, but I'm not so sure. People do get signs, but I'm just saying they can be manipulated. As Dr. Stephen Lawson stated, if you're not careful, that's factoring down your Christian life to the single most immature level that you could possibly factor it down to when you've got the written Word of God. Others want supernatural events or miracles, and certainly it's okay to pray for miracles. I'm not saying that. But even miracles won't lead people to understand and receive God's faith if the Holy Spirit doesn't convict them and call them. And the miracle must be illuminated and confirmed by the Word of God. That's why Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. Jesus gave us eight miracles in John's Gospels, Eight miracles that prove that he is who he says he is. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And the ultimate sign which he'll give us today is when he refers to his resurrection. And he'll prove that at the end. And yet people, even Christians, still seem to want more signs. But I want to ask this, what good is a sign if you don't already believe in the greatest sign that He's given you, His miraculous, supernatural Word that has stood the test of time. 
But the Jews asked Jesus for a sign. And Jesus answered them, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now the Jews were likely asking for some miracle that they wanted Jesus to do right then and there. Something that would prove that he had the authority to cleanse the temple. But Jesus, like he most often does when the Jews ask for a sign, he never, he rarely ever answers them directly. I think yet another sign that he doesn't appreciate being tested by asking for signs. So his answer is a bit like this. You want a sign? Here it is. Destroy the temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Jesus answers similarly in Matthew 12 when the scribes and Pharisees asked for a sign. In verses 39 and 40, he said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, you get this sense of, you want a sign? Here it is. Three days, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth, and then I'll be raised. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up after three days. Of course, the Jews are confused. Uh, they reply, verse 20, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up? In three days? Now, the temple of Jesus' day, let me explain this, was not the splendid temple during the time of King Solomon. That temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians uh, when the Israelites had been taken into exile. And the temple here was the one that the exiles had rebuilt uh, that's recorded in the book of Ezra. And then many centuries later, around 20 B.C., Herod the Great began an extensive uh, reconstruction and renovation of that temple. Ironically, those reconstruction efforts were not completed until shortly before 70 AD when the temple was destroyed again by the Romans. But it was probably this rebuilding under Herod the Great that the Jews are referring to. What they're likely saying here is, look, we've been rebuilding this thing. We've been re renovating this temple for 46 years, and we're still not finished with it. Do you really think you could rebuild it in three days? Obviously, the Jews completely missed the point. They were naturally thinking of the Jerusalem temple, but verse 21 says Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. He was referring, of course, to his resurrection. But even the disciples didn't understand it in the moment. Verse 22 tells us that it wasn't until he was raised from the dead that his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the Word that Jesus had spoken. Jesus' sacrificial death upon the cross would render the Jerusalem temple sacrificial system obsolete. And his resurrection would lay the foundation 
and usher in a new covenant in which the way to forgiveness and salvation is through trusting in Jesus once and for all sacrifice. But many of the people, including the authorities, just, just didn't believe it. They just wouldn't trust that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the once for all sacrifice. We see evidence of this in verses 23 to 25. Verse 23 says Jesus remained in Jerusalem for the Passover. And he was doing signs or miracles and many believed in his name. But verse 24 says that Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to them. Why not? Well, verses 24 and 25 tell us because he knew all people. He knew what was in the mind and the heart of men and women. He was and is omniscient. He knows all things. And Jesus knew the heart of these men and women, and He knew that their belief in Him was not genuine, saving faith. There's a play on words in verses 23 and 24. Believed in verse 23 and entrust in verse 24 come from the same Greek word, pistuo. And what it's saying here is that though the people believed in Jesus, Jesus did not believe in them. He had no faith in their faith because they did not have saving faith. Because they did not yet understand that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. They were not yet ready to turn from their sacrificial system to believe in the once for all sacrifice of Jesus. But the Bible is very clear, folks. Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. Once for all. Romans 6, 9-11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews seven twenty seven. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews 9.12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, uh, 24 to 28, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but he's entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly, since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Eagerly waiting for Him. Are we waiting for Him, beloved? I want to say just a little more about this once-for-all sacrifice. One of the reasons you will not hear Presbyterians talk much about coming to the altar is because we do not need an altar. That is not in the sense of an altar being a place for sacrifices. Instead, what we need is a table. What we need is a reminder of the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. I'm not putting down altar calls. Don't, don't confuse what I'm saying. But we don't talk often about an altar, and there's a reason we don't have an altar rail typically in a Presbyterian church, is because we point to the table. It's a place to come and remember and trust in Christ's death and resurrection as we await our resurrection and as we await Christ's return. We come to the table today to remember that Jesus is God. He gave us two more signs that He is in our passage today. He is God because He was raised up on the third day. And He is God because He's omniscient. He knows all things and He knows all people. And we come especially today to remember Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice for you and for me. There's no other way by which we must be saved. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. By means of His own body and blood remembered at this table, Jesus has secured for you and for me our eternal redemption. Let us come today to the table and remember Jesus once and for all sacrifice for you and for me. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful that we don't have to go to an altar week after week after week, that we don't have to bring sacrifice upon sacrifice. You want a contrite heart, a heart that's broken enough to acknowledge what you've already done on the cross and to receive your once-for-all sacrifice. So, Lord, we come today to remember. And we rely solely on that sacrifice and upon your great grace in Jesus. Lord, as we remember today, we remember how lost we would be apart from you. We remember that your love is, is so great that you would die for us. We also remember, Lord, that you've called us to be a new people. You've called us to love you and to love others. 
you, you've called us to a new way that is unlike those around us. You've called us to be a light unto this dark world. So call us anew today. Lord, we now set aside this bread and this cup as holy unto you. We ask that you would consecrate these elements so that the bread we break and the cup we drink might be for us the body and the blood of Christ. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all praise and glory and honor now and forevermore. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace today and forevermore. Amen.